Hey everybody, what's up? It's me, Jeff, again. Welcome to This Week in Mormons. Thanks for taking the time to join us this week on another fantabulous episode uh, where we get into Latter-day Saint news and commentary and all those wonderful things. Oh, you know what I should do? I should give the people my light. There it is. Don't I look better now? I, I do. I do. You can't you can't buy a ring light and not use it. I mean, you right. know this. Anyway, I'm joined this week by back. We haven't had her for a while. Soraya Wilson, nice to have you back in the studio with us. Well, thank you so much for having me. I always love oh, coming back. It is good to see you. Yeah, we haven't talked to you since I think we did our general conference recap back there in, in early April. Yeah. So how have things since then, of course, the seat filler actually was released. Mm-hmm. Um, a book I, I just enjoyed more than I even should have. Um, how... How, how has that been? Is it, has it been successful for you? Have you been happy yeah, with done, how it's gone? It's done really well. I mean, Amazon picked it as um, one of the best romances of the month, and it was on their best best romances of the year so far. So crossing my fingers, I'll make the best year list, you know, but won't put that up till December. So that'd be it's, huge. It's and getting I- some, yeah, it's had really great professional reviews and people seem to really love it. And it's been a lot of fun. Oh, good. And do you have any other books coming out this year? Or I do. Uh, in December, I have one called The Paid Bridesmaid that comes out. So, Is that, that like fun. a... Did you want to tease us with the premise of that one? <laughs> I'm so bad at teasing with premises. Uh, yeah, it's Paint a one who a professionally person. is a bridesmaid because uh-huh. that's a real thing. And But, you know, you have to sign like these NDAs and keep it quiet and come up with this backstory because most brides don't want people to know that they had to hire a bridesmaid. It's kind of embarrassing. So, of course, my my hero is the best man who is about to take his corporation public. And he's very concerned about this bridesmaid with no social media who suddenly appears in the bride's life. And so he's a little suspicious. So things go off from there. Yeah. And then he might or might not fall in love with her. He might or might not. Who's, who's to say? Who is to say? We don't know. Well, good deal. Everyone keep an eye out for all that. It's fun when you have, and you're working on another book right now, I believe. Yeah. I'm writing one right now. It's so much fun. You're, I'm being you want totally to sarcastic. You want to tell us anything about that one or are we keeping that one under wraps? We'll keep that one under wraps because who knows how it's going to change between now and when it actually comes out. So Yeah. All right. Well, fair deal. Right. Sounds good. Uh, everybody, I'm happy to be back with you again. It's been uh, – when was I here to do news last? Because we had the sisters last week and I think the week before that. No, the week before that I was here with Patricia. Anyways, I missed you all. It, it's very nice. I went to Arizona for my sister's wedding. Shout out, Melanie. Great work out there. We enjoyed it quite a bit. Had a fun time with the whole family, and then I returned here to D.C. Um, This is where I state, though, on the record that Arizona should not be inhabited, like at all. Um, Like, I don't know what the Lord has to do to get people to not live places like this. Like, you know, the next thing is setting lobsters free in people's yards. You know, people would still go, oh, we can just eat those. You know, yeah. I mean... I have a lot of faith, but I feel like I have to question whether Brigham Young was actually divinely inspired when he told them to head down there and settle the East Valley, because it's just, I I don't think mankind was meant to live in those sorts of conditions, let alone, I don't know how they did it way back when. I mean, Arizona, the Phoenix area didn't boom really until the advent of air conditioning in the post-war era, but obviously we stretch back way farther than that in, Mesa, in the Mesa region. How must it have been to live in that exciting place? I can't even imagine. I have friends right now in Seattle who, you know, Seattle's having a record-breaking heat wave. And, like, none of them have air conditioning. Yeah. None of them. And they are so miserable. And I, they just talk about how miserable they are all the time. I thought, and these are people who can wear, like, tank tops and shorts, you know, or be naked in their apartment or whatever and not have to worry about it. I'm like, you've got those saints down there with the full-on oily fat-time garments and yeah. all their pleats. And uh, I just can't even imagine. It must have been so awful. Everybody must have smelled so bad. 
and and my heart goes out to the Seattle people too. When you're when you're yeah. not a lot of playhouses in Seattle don't even have right. ducting. They just have right. heat strips on the floors, and they don't they don't need air conditioning for the most right. part. When I was when I was going to when I was uh, living in Scotland for grad school, same kind of thing there. You don't really have AC in a lot of buildings. You don't need it. But then like one heat wave came through, and I could do nothing but open my window and just like pray for relief. And it was just crazy hot, and that's all you could do. So. We're with you, Seattle. Yes, definitely. Seattle strong, something like that. Um, well, folks, before we get to the news, just want to encourage you, of course, to go to thisweekinmormons.com where you can uh, see this episode, the show notes for it, and everything we talk about. If you want to read the links, we're not just making this stuff up. We back up what we talk about with hyperlinks. You can read these stories and, and formulate your own opinions. Uh, and we often post stories like this as well on our Facebook page. That's facebook.com slash thisweekinmormons. Please give us a little like there, follow us, and... Uh, Stay up to date on all the cool things we're doing. And uh, also you can follow us on Instagram and Twitter. We hang out on all different spheres and it's very exciting. Uh, it's a, it's an interesting week of news. I don't think there's not like a big headlining news story or anything, that, especially at the official church end. I'd say every couple of weeks we get something that's pretty big headline type. Not, nothing major in that regard, I would say, but we have a lot of yeah. interesting little, little bits of news that are going to, going to bounce around. Um, here and there. And what was the one? I'm going to lead off with one that dropped today, just because the date of this is actually fascinating to me. We are now celebrating the 60th anniversary of missionary work in the Philippines. That's only remarkable to me because the church is comparatively large in the Philippines. I think the work is going pretty well. Uh, you know, They've got a lot of temples and a lot of stakes, a lot of folks. I know countless people who have served missions in the Philippines because there are so many missions there. But to think it's only the 60th anniversary, they did not dedicate the Philippines for missionary work until 1961. And then yeah. Elder Gordon B. Hinckley did it. That That's the part that, that jumped out at me that I thought was fascinating. Um, I would have assumed we'd have missionaries there for much longer than that, that we have the yeah, story yeah. history. But the, actually, I mean, the Philippines didn't get its independence until after World War II. It was a U.S. territory for some time. Um, that's the big thing that I just, I had no idea. I straight up thought that the Philippines had missionaries. I mean, that might've had missionaries a little bit, but that it had been dedicated and that that was all going on. And like, you know, even when the Spanish uh, held it up until the Spanish American war, who knew? So good job, Philippines. Yeah. My husband, I, have to, I showed him that story just because, you know, he served his mission in Manila. Oh, okay. And he's one of the ones who retained his language. So, you know, was it, I don't know how many years it's been 25 years since, you know, he still is totally fluent in Tagalog. And we'll all the time go on with people and chat with them. And so, yeah, it's kind of funny to think that this is, I mean, it had only been open for like 35 years when he went, you know, it hadn't been that long comparatively. Yeah. So, but yeah, I think with all the work over in Samoa and Tonga, you would almost think they'd be in that's, the Philippines too. That's kind of where I was too. You think you just, and like in New Zealand, you think you'd just kind yeah. of be hopping over. I mean, I know it's yeah, straight like, up like East Asia instead, yeah. but still, yeah, I'm, I was of the same, the same mind. And now we have, here's some stats. 825,000 members of the church in the Philippines, 120 stakes. There are very few uh, countries or units or whatever that states that can claim more than a hundred stakes. That's a, mm -hmm. it's like the Philippines, the U S Brazil, Mexico, and like Peru. I think there's not much to it. Uh, 1200 congregations, 23 missions in the Philippines, which is something, I mean, I served my mission in Spain and there were five when I was there, which was awesome. 
And now there are only two. I was going to say, are there less now? I wouldn't be surprised if there were less now. Meanwhile, the Philippines has 23 and they have two operational temples and five under construction or announced. And we like to joke a lot on the show that kind of like how Utah keeps getting temples announced like right and left. Philippines is kind of close. I feel like you just throw a dart at a map and like, oh, they're, you know, you've got a Philippines got a forty percent chance that a temple is going to yeah. be announced there in the Philippines. So good for them. Good job, Philippines. I, I wonder how much it turned it around um, for that little bit of history. Because do you remember in two thousand two when they made that uh, that really cool announcement when Elder uh, Oaks and Elder Holland were were called respectively to go preside over the church area of the Philippines and Chile. Um, mm-hmm. That was a big deal because you have area presidencies. The Philippines is its own area, right? But they sent an apostle to live there for two years and uh, oversee the work. I I like to say that Elder Oaks clearly succeeded because before that time it was fine, but there was like the one temple. Yeah, it's exploded since then. And if you had to compare Oaks and Holland. And his work, Elder Holland's work in Chile. It seems like Oaks won. He won that race. Yeah. He won. I mean, since that time, Chile has had one more temple dedicated, and they've had another one announced that they're breaking ground on. But it appears uh, there's a there's a reason that President Oaks is in the first presidency. Yeah, and it's you know, not like, just because he's President Nelson's buddy. Yeah, it's <laughs> which might you know, be uh, part of the reason. But. Pre-pandemic, I'm sure this, they'll go back to this, but you know, my uncle is the uh, head chef at the Salt Lake Temple, and once a week. He has to go in and serve the prophet and the apostles. They meet in a room in the temple and he comes in and serves them. And I've got some really funny stories from that. But I just think I just imagine them at this meeting and Oaks just saying things to Holland in his dry, deadpan humor, you know, about oh, who got more converts. OK, you know, so something like that. OK, I'm 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 happy to digress in the sense, though. Are there any interesting stories about this. So first of all, yeah, he brings them. So they don't go to like a special cafeteria. Now is the head chef equivalent to one who's running the cafeteria or is this a specific job where his only job is to cook for like general authorities? I think he runs authority. everything, but then he also has to take care of the prophet and the apostles. And he personally comes in and serves them and takes care of them. And I'm sure there's probably other people there too, but, um, and I so do they just have like a random dining room in the upper rooms of the temple where they, they must because he serves I mean, them there. So, so yeah, he, uh, I actually got a really good cost for my wedding because he helped buy food at wholesale and then, <laughs> you know, because of his position. But um, yeah, he, I, I will tell you one story about President Monson. I love President Monson, so please don't take this the wrong way. But I very much think that when he moved from apostle to prophet, that that mantle really did fall on him and he became kind of a different person. But he yeah. was very mad one time when he was in the room and there was no apples and he wanted an apple. And he said, an apostle of the Lord should be able to have an apple when he wants one. And that really struck my uncle. He's remembered it. He's told that story many times in the years since then. But yeah, my uncle is actually, his last name is Patey. And you might remember from General Conference a while ago about the family in World War II whose the bomb landed in their yard and didn't explode. That's uh-huh. his family. Oh, wow. So I have some connections to things. I, I didn't even know that until I was watching conference. My mom's like, hey, that's Uncle Doug's family. And I'm like, shut up. It is not. It was. So that's, that's awesome. Yeah. Well, clearly, we we need to also talk to your uncle here on this show. Yeah, either he's for those fun. Stories, he's got some good stories. Or just here, come and regale us with tales of being the head chef for the temple, which I didn't even consider was a thing. I yeah. just assumed they showed up there, did meetings for a couple hours, and then we you know went across the street and just grabbed some Chick-fil-A at the food court over, uh, over at uh, City Creek or something. I didn't think they were having like full meals. There's There is a room in the MTC. We're going to talk about the MTC in a second. But there is a room in the MTC... Um, in the cafeteria in the back to serve 
presidents and apostles and leaders that come. It's a special dining room that's off from the rest of the dining room. They don't sit with the elders and the sisters. Yeah, yeah. Um, but there is, I've been in that room many times. So is um, it like yeah. so? Is it like behind the serving and prep area, like all yes. the way in the backstage? It's just kind yes. of its own little thing. It's off of the kitchen, so it's next to like there's offices for the the managers that run it. Uh-huh. Um, and then right next to the offices is this room that nobody used. I mean, we would go in there all the time to talk and stuff because we worked in the back in the cafeteria. But yeah, yeah it was a special room set up just for that. So well, it, it wouldn't surprise me that there would be something similar in a temple because I know that for a fact that one exists in the MTC. Yeah. Huh. All right. Well, the more you know. Yeah. Tell us about, you, you what's going on with the MTC, by the way. You referenced something. Yes, yeah, so we've got this story here where the MTC is going back to in-person training. And I thought, I, I wonder how people are feeling about that because I think it's fantastic. I, I think there's so much to be said for being in the environment with other people and, and feeling of the spirit and getting to, you know, have it be all around you. I have to imagine how hard it is. It has been for these missionaries who oh, yeah. have to have their MTC training at home. I mean, can you, I wouldn't be able to focus. I just, right? be, I mean, there's kids in my ward who are doing it and I just, I, I commend them for being able to get through it, but yeah. I can't imagine how hard it is, but yeah, the MTC is very special to me. Like I mentioned, I, I worked there my, freshman and sophomore year of college, which was really fun because especially my sophomore year, because that's when all my friends from freshman ward came through. And yeah. so I worked in the cafeteria. So I was out there serving them. Uh, but I mean, that's actually how I met my husband. I was working in the cafeteria and he was Is an elder that and we, we'd never met before. And, and how did you follow up on that? I mean, that's, that's a fleeting interaction, I would assume. If you're well, I mean, through, he came to my you? line every day for the three months he was in the MTC. And what happened yeah. was I worked next to a girl named Elizabeth, who she had gone to study abroad in Israel with him. And so they were always talking and catching up. And then you just kind of started talking to me. And I, when you're in the MTC, like every guy there talks to you, it's just not a big deal. Like everybody yeah, kind of flirts, yeah. you know, even if they're not supposed to, they do. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it's like these poor starving men. And then you just, these line of women, you know, and I had beautiful friends that worked with me. So, you know, but I always thought it wasn't very fair to the poor elders coming through the line, but, um, yeah, they, um, I was just thinking of another story. And I lost my train of thought for a second, but anyways, he and I would talk and I, I met quite a few missionaries in the MTC who were like, well, you write to me. And I'm like, sure. Like I, I had whole districts I was writing, you know, whatever. I mean, this is back in the what, uh, well, days. You were, very, you were very popular with the I wasn't very popular, but yeah. Missionaries, you know, well, you know, I was their last line of someone they could ask to write them. And most of it turned into nothing. <laughs> but I, I wrote my husband. We wrote pretty much his whole mission and got to know each other. And and he just happened to live in Provo. His family lives in Provo. So when he got home from his mission, I was at the Y. And things happened from there. We started dating. So That's incredible. So yeah. I mean, your whole thing was not born out of a pre-existing relationship where no. you waited for him. You just kind no. of got to, you kind of courted with letters. Yeah, isn't it romantic? I think it's romantic, but. I mean, it is romantic. I mean, no wonder you wind up doing romance. Right. That, that, that right there is just, uh, how funny. I had a I had a girlfriend when I left, but I knew I wasn't going to date her when I came back. So it was a bit of a different dynamic. She was, she's not a member of the church. I didn't yeah. care before. My logic was like, I'm, I've got this kind of hard stop on my social life. So I don't really care what I'm doing. But then we had an awkward discussion when I was like, yeah, when we get back, I'm like only going to date Mormon girls. And, uh, that was a strange conversation. I probably yeah. could have handled it better than I did. Um, yeah, definitely. She even, oh, yeah. ta- she even, she had genuine interest in the missionary discussions too. And I was so terrible. Like the things I know better now, 
that I would have handled differently when she had totally sincere questions about stuff. And I, anyways, I, I look back in hindsight, it was like my first exposure to trying to do things with missionaries. And I just didn't, I didn't have a clue what I was doing. Yeah. The, the MTC is a fun place. I will tell you, there are tunnels under the MTC. I have been in them and they are graffitied by elders, you know, but in the, uh, how do they get down there? Same way everybody else does on the floor. You know, like stuff like Roanoke, Virginia missions, the best. That's the kind of graffiti that's down there. You know, Elder James rocks. You know, it's real, real graphic. Where did the tunnels go? Do they just connect to like the, laundry, the, buildings. the laundry facility? Oh, is it just for the campus or do the tunnels connect elsewhere on BYU's campus? Not BYU's campus. As far as I know, it's just the MTC. But okay. I've been in those tunnels. And then we got to meet like this one time they had a, they have these where the presidencies come in, the mission presidencies. And so you've got a bunch of elders and sisters and then you have, you know, the mission presidents and their wives there. And so we're, I mean, we're very behind and it was a Sunday. And the way they worked it was each shift had to come in and work one Sunday a month. And that way, you know, and even it's, then we had people giving us a hard time. You're working on the Sabbath. I'm like, well, yeah. you wouldn't eat otherwise. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. but we had one Sunday, we we're serving breakfast and this man comes through and my friend's working the line. Her name's Nancy. And he's like, so could I, can I get an extra pancake? She's like, sorry, president. The rule is two per person. He's like, are you sure I can't get an extra pancake? She's like, yep, sorry. And moves along. And someone's like, and so the guy next to him starts making fun of him. And he's like, oh, you can't get another pancake. Well, both apostles, one was James E. Faust. And I, you know, and someone just said, you just told Elder Faust he couldn't have another pancake. You just told an apostle of the Lord he couldn't have another pancake. So that's been kind of her claim to fame. But yeah, we had stuff like that happen. That's where so apostles were mocking each other and stuff. It's fun. I miss I miss President Faust. He was yeah. He was he was just a jolly. So I uh, when I was I think when I was going to BYU, I had a lot of friends up in Salt Lake and stuff. And one of my friends lived up there, and she was roommates with President Faust's granddaughter. Mm-hmm. And they lived up in the Avenue, so they weren't far from most of the central action of churchy stuff, right? And there was one day they were like one time I think I was texting her, and she's literally like, "I'm watching like Pride and Prejudice with Elder." President Faust, right? This one he was in the first presidency too. Like we're just like watching a movie with President Faust, but then he asked them if they would love to have a tour of the upper rooms of the temple, and they were like, "Yeah, sure." So they got Let's to have go. this this guided tour with a member of the first presidency and just be shown stuff, which I think is is uh, that's going to be amazing. Um, I am with you. I think it's great the missionaries are going back in person, and and like and why not? Because the requirements now are pretty clear. The church has said, you know, essentially. It's, you know, you basically need to be vaccinated if you're right. a missionary. At minimum, if you are going abroad, you have right. to be vaccinated. Um, and so it's a safer environment. So why not? That's what we want, you know, and that's fine. Just as a lot of us are going, I went to church on Sunday for the first time since March last year and I didn't wear a mask because I am vaccinated and that Good was fine. You. So that's great for the missionaries because I can't imagine how it's been to do it all virtually. I mean, it's that you bond a lot too with your group when you're there. And a lot of that's just the casual stuff that you can't just recreate, you know, on a zoom call or anything like that. Right. So, and then just by way of reminder, it's only a handful of missionaries right now across, I think just three MTCs so far, yeah. Ghana, New Zealand, and the one in Provo, but they're phasing it in. So it was just last, just last week, the very first group of missionaries showed up. Presumably that means some more, what in two days? Wednesday is still missionary day, right? Yeah, it has yeah, to mean that because I just sat in Sunday and one of the kids was leaving from our ward and he's going to the Mexico MTC and like okay. soon. So it has to open yeah. soon. Like he's leaving. So they're they're doing it. Yeah, they're doing it. It's happening. Uh, some other quick temple mentions here. The church uh, announced the location of three temples all in the Western United States. All three of them came from that large tranche of temples announced in April the twenty. Uh, that we learned about. So just in case you're a temple follower, 
as I like to be. So it's Farmington, New Mexico, Grand Junction, Colorado, and Burley, Idaho, which many few people predicted Burley because it's so close to Twin Falls. Burley is just kind of this other little stop that's like 20 miles from Twin Falls. But hey, they get to have a temple too. It's great. And uh, the Burley Temple will be All these temples will be a bit larger. A lot of the recent ones we've seen have been these 10,000 square foot ones that haven't been huge, but we're talking temples of like 25,000 square feet, not too shabby, not too bad at all. And then the uh, Burley Temple is going to wind up being like 40,000 square feet because, you know, Mormon Corridor is going to mourn and you got to do what you got to do. So anyways, that's cool. Great news for all of them. They announced just the locations. We don't have renderings or anything like that or even groundbreaking dates, but it's fun to kind of work through this this 20 that have been announced. I think that means like seven of them of those 20 have now had site uh, locations announced. I, of course, eagerly await any official word on the Yorba Linda, California temple, my, my basically my homeland, uh, but nothing has happened yet. If you have the inside scoop, twin people, tell me. I will keep you anonymous for your own safety. Is this like a fantasy football thing, the following the temples? Like you have your favorite temples you put up and predicting like, stuff will happen. And I mean, we've, we've done the temple predictions for yeah. a long time. You know, these ones have been announced. And so there's uh, people, of course, everyone, when you, when they, I'm sure when they announced the Saratoga Springs temple, all of you there were a buzz like, where's it going to be? Yes. Where's it going to be? Yes. And you were all freaking out about it. So there's so that you part just do of it, it on like a worldwide scale. Well, a little bit. I don't spend a lot of time wondering where exactly they're going to be located. The Yorba Linda one, yes, absolutely. Yeah. And I've talked to plenty of people and we're all wondering. Uh, but the other effort is to just forecast just temple announcements in general. Like, are they going to build one in this this metropolitan area? Whatever it might be. That's fun to do. I mean, they, uh, you know, it's usually, it's down to revelation, but it's also down to looking at a lot of numbers and things that make sense. And that's yeah. kind of where we get it from. I even saw a listing recently. The church had a job listing for a Python developer who could do stats. Basically the job listing, it was for the temple department. Clearly the job was to be able to run models and regressions and essentially look at all the data of church membership and zero in on and shortlist areas that could merit a temple. I'm assuming before it goes up to higher levels for more spiritual consideration, that would be a very interesting job. I imagine you're just running the data points and being like, oh, we do need a third temple in Provo. Who knew? Who knew? We don't need to throw sense in Provo, by the way, folks. So, you know. Well, I mean, I out here, I guess yesterday, yesterday, yeah, in church, uh, we were talking about going back to the temple and having to get appointments. And a woman in the class volunteered that she was able to get an initiatory appointment in September. That was the only kind of appointment they had, and that was the earliest. So, you joke about us not needing more temples out here, but. No, no, but it's. No, it's it's legit. It's legit. I mean, it's been pretty interesting watching so many be announced for Utah in recent years. Like some of them, like you see Saratoga Springs. It's kind of like, eh, I, I thought something around the Lehigh, Saratoga Springs yeah. area has made sense with how much growth you've had. That was like, cool, get it. Orem was a little bit of a surprise to me. Linden was a bigger surprise. Right. After, because after all that, you thought Linden was interesting. But then like having one in Layton makes sense. But then they also announced one in Syracuse, which is very close to that. But if you look at a lot of the numbers, I mean, they've got you got a lot of sticks and a lot of people on the other temple in Cache Valley is going to be a huge blessing up there in Smithfield, uh, by the way, because the Logan temple, I think is one of the most slammed at this point. Yeah. There's a ton. It has like the most stakes assigned to it of any temple right now, if I'm not mistaken. So good. I, I, I do tease about it, but I mean, it's uh, if you're, you're, if you got the members and you're filling the temples and you're doing the good work, then, you know, good for you. Maybe yeah. someday we will have a temple in West Valley city. 
but it'll never happen because West Valley is a cursed land. <laughs> Any family members I have that live in West Valley? It'll never happen. Well, the Taylorsville Temple is basically a West Valley temple. Right. It's actual. It's actual location is I think a couple blocks from the yeah. the line between the city. So, fun, fun times all around. Your turn. My turn. Yeah, it's me paying attention. So we have a, a duo that's kind of famous. You guys may have heard of them. I am probably going to kill their names. Ken Dario and Cinco Paul. And we talked about that Cinco is not a nickname. It's a name his mother gave him because he was born on May 5th. And we, I told, was telling Jeff before the broadcast started that if he had been born in Utah, it would have been spelled like C-Y-N-K-O or something. Um, <laughs> but, you know, so they, they are famous script writers. I mean, they wrote Despicable Me. They wrote um, The Secret Life of Pets. I mean, I look at like the merchandising at Universal that they have for Despicable Me, all the rides and stuff. I'm like, that's yeah. amazing that they wrote that. That's so cool. But obviously, I was reading this article that they have in Vulture, and I thought the, the writer of this has to be Jewish because it talked about how they put on a, a road show for the temple. And I'm yeah, like, that's I not really that how that works. I was like, why you know? does it say temple? <laughs> I thought he must be Jewish. But um, Chris Norris, though. Well, you never know. So I, it was just, it was interesting, but yeah, they met over doing a, like a road show together, you know, celebrating the pioneers. And from there started writing scripts. They wrote some truly awful scripts, apparently like bubble boy that did star Jake Gyllenhaal to give them their props, but uh, that, that their new thing that they're doing, I, they talked about how they did the Lorax and Horton. Here's a who, mm-hmm. and it's killing me because I spent way too much time today trying to find this story that I know that the widow Dr. Seuss's widow specifically chose this pair for the Lorax, that there was oh. something that she was uncomfortable about the way that everybody else was pitching the story. And I, this is just my recollection. So I may be incorrect. Please come correct me if you want. But my recollection of it was that she was looking for a more faithful adaptation and people really wanted to put a lot of crude humor in it and gross out mm. humor. And here comes these two Mormon screenwriters are like, we'll make it as sweet and fun and happy as you want it to be, you know, and we'll, we'll make it bubbly and bouncy. And she's like, yes, that's what I want. So she, she they also him. included Taylor Swift in the cast. That right? was the so, right there. Yeah. It, that cinches it. But yeah, she, uh, but that she specifically asked for them for that movie. So I did not yeah, know that. That's, that's fascinating. Yeah. Their career is kind of taken off and, and they're doing well. And so this, this article is about that. They've got a new show they're doing for Apple TV called Schmigadoon that they love musicals. And it talks about that. They're, they would go into meetings with Hollywood executives and they would be pitching their movies or their stories. And then they would often break into song because they felt like that would better explain, even though the show was not a musical, they would better explain yeah. you know, what the characters are feeling. And they said, we got some interesting reactions that sometimes like one executive was said, well, that was really loud, you know, because we often bombed, you know, and some people really liked it. Most, most people hated it, but that's just kind of what they did. So writing a musical has obviously always been super important to them. And every movie they do, they say, okay, when are we doing a musical? So they finally have done it. It's a, a husband and wife who are trying to rekindle their relationship who go on a hiking trip. And they said, is that wind up in a Bloomhouse horror film with a touch of whimsy. So they're, they're stuck in a magical place where everybody sings all the time. And the key to getting out is to really falling in love. And they called it uh, the walking dead meets glee. So as someone who adores musicals, I'm very torn because I do like the walking dead and I do like glee. I'm just not sure I want to watch them together. But I'm do right. you like, the the at least semi namesake of this Brigadoon. I love Brigadoon. Oh my gosh! I mean, I could sing it to you right now. I love that movie. Br- so you know, I, I yeah, I'm a big, big, big musical fan. So I, I might tune in just to see what I think of it. And I thought the the, the actors they've got I love is like Cecily Strong and um, 
Keenan Michael Key. Yeah, and, uh, like I love him, and I, I I would watch that. But I'm like, why is there horror elements to it? I don't understand. So maybe they're just joking about. I mean, maybe the horror element is that there, there's clearly like a step forty in element going on here. With the with with in the town of Schmigadoo, and so there's probably something like all is not as it seems, right? Which of, that's a premise that I think kind of like. Uh, did you watch WandaVision? Yeah, yeah, or, yeah. I mean, I think it's got a similar vibe. It's something much more sinister is going on beneath the surface, and that's kind of the implication. So I don't know how dark it's going to get. I don't. I don't like horror. I don't like dark things. Yeah. Like Walking Dead is about as far as I go when it comes to that kind of stuff. And uh, so, well, they do. Just, they the the headline does describe it as uh, wholesome and really funny. So. Right? So Perhaps like, it's not you, really that, like, that dark, which I'm also glad for just in general because everything on streaming. I was looking at Netflix the other day and everything was TVMA, like yeah. every single thing they had. And I was like, oh, come on, guys. I can't just wait for the Great British Baking Show every year. I need something. Well, I need get, something else. Get VidAngel. Oh, I know. I used to have VidAngel, actually. Then I just then I stopped VidAngeling. Yeah. I did VidAngel and I tried to watch um, House of Cards. And even with VidAngel, it's like such a bleak show. Like every time. Yeah. I tell you what, it's one of the, even you get rid of the content and I don't mind like more adult thematic elements or something. Right. I watch Breaking Bad any day of the week, but there was something about, about that show where I was just like, I just feel like crummy when I'm watching this. Like I just, it's not in a fun way. Yeah. Just, that show was terrible. And maybe it was just, maybe it was foreshadowing about all of Kevin Spacey's problems. I don't know. Yeah. But, uh, I'm excited to check this this out. I, uh, Schmigad Brigadoon is a classic. I mean, I don't think you can beat the song. Um, um, you know, like being in love. That's a classic right there. Almost like being in love. That's a great one. I'm excited to see it. When does it actually air? I don't remember. Uh, I don't remember either. I mean, sometimes soon. July, July 16th, everybody. So two weeks from Friday. So you must buy another streaming service if you do not already have Apple TV to watch it. Or or if you're looking to buy a new, oh, I, or did that finally go away? For a long time, if you were buying new iPhones or iPads, they, they would give you a subscription. A, a free year of Apple TV Plus. But oh, that's nice. It doesn't lasting forever. Well, fancy, fancy times then. Um, interesting article coming out of Deseret News of all places. First, I want to laud Deseret News for running a piece of this nature. Good for you because I know they're tr- they're trying to be balanced and a little more just forward thinking and what they cover. Uh, this isn't wild but by any means, but it is uh, called Why Latter-day Saint Democrats Have a Harder Time Breaking into Politics. It's actually written by Hunter Schwartz, who has been writing for uh, the Washington Post for a long time. So mm-hmm. I don't know if he just did this one as a special or what have you. Uh, Hunter's a good guy. He actually interviewed me once when he worked at BuzzFeed uh, way back after the during the Mitt Romney campaign. We were interviewed about the Mormon moment. So <laughs> anyway... Or it was it was the post Mormon moment yeah. moment that was the framing. But anyway, I, it was nice of him to reach out to me as some sort of subject matter expert or something on the on the matter. But this is a more of a factual article, and it's essentially yeah why why it's hard for members of our church who are Democrats to get into politics because so much of politics when you get into it is having a support network of like minded individuals, and as a church we are overwhelmingly Republican in the United States. Um, and I, I see this. I live in D.C. and yeah, I mean, obviously, it's everyone's jockeying for jobs and things like that. But if you are a Republican Latter Day Saint in DC, if whether you're married or not, but if you want to get a gig on the Hill or something like that, there are many resources available to you, and you can usually network your way into some kind of a job, even if you're just a staff assistant where they pay you, I kid you not, less than thirty thousand dollars a year in Washington DC to somehow do the job. Um, you have more windows op- opened up for you, but it is hard for Democrats, especially now there are no Democrats in Congress who are Latter-day Saints after Ben McAdams lost his re-election bid and uh, Tom Udall left the Senate. 
And so this article kind of just goes into in more detail about sort of the issues they have, the bottlenecks. For one, what jobs there are. There are far fewer of them uh, compared to even how many Democrats there are. And so it's just a uh, it's an interesting challenge they face. Uh, they inter- also interviewed um, Steve Pierce, who longtime listeners of perhaps Sunday School Bonanza, our old Gospel Doctrine podcast, might recognize that name because he would guest host on that with me, going over over that material. Uh, Steve's a great guy. He's a he's a senior director at a Democratic uh, public affairs agency. And he talked a lot about how like he only found a job. He went to this event called Beyond BYU, and I've gone to this too. It's this thing they put on at the Capitol. Um, it's networking. You just have some kind of a keynote person speak, and uh, they even they even bring over poli sci students from Provo. They fly them in, and they get to they get to learn all about DC and stuff. Um, but it was like sheer happenstance that he was talking to some other people. Of course, there weren't many like Democrats for him to talk with, and it just so happened that one person saw another another person in the Capitol who's not even a member of the church, who wasn't at the event, and just flagged her down. So it was like complete luck that he got the job he did, basically at that point to help help him network into something. So anyway, um. The point of this is opportunities are scarce. I think as a church, if we try to be more pluralistic in our political views and not um, loathe one another on opposite sides of the aisle and open ourselves up to a little bit more of that pluralism, hopefully we can balance that out and we can have more people with different viewpoints. Not everyone just so hardcore believing you have to be a Republican to be a Mormon. You definitely cannot be a Democrat and be a Latter-day Saint in good standing, for example. These things are out there. Let's try to be more open. just for our own health as a, as a people and as a body politic, and also for those who are uh, starting in their careers and want to work in politics so they can have more more opportunity as well. They deserve it just as much as the Republican ones do, people. Everyone deserves it. So oh, it's just it, fun read. I mean, the yeah, main gist of you it need is to, fun read. You need to... Because when one group gets in charge, it's not good. You know, yeah. even here in Utah, I'm sure I, I've mentioned this before, talking to an FBI agent who specializes in politics. That's yeah. his whole field. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's from D.C. And he's like, I'll go to Utah. That'll be a nice, safe yeah. place. And I won't be away from like D.C. And he goes, it's worse here because there's so much corruption because there is nobody to check them. There is nobody to raise a voice. There is nobody to say, hey, no, you can't do that. And uh, it's not good in politics, I don't think. I, I think it's good to have dissenting voices and to have to listen and to be forced to talk about what's best and what's, you know, works for everyone. So. Yeah. So hopefully we can get there. So give that one a read. Learn about learn about learn about the other side. Many of you listening, learn about the other side. Yeah. There shouldn't even be another side. There should be multiple sides. Okay. It's not either or. Just remember that. Well, we have an article from Salt Lake Tribune, which I do not have a Salt Lake Tribune subscription, and I was able to go in and copy the whole thing before it kicked me out and put it in my Word document here. Um <laughs> I, I appreciate I, your perseverance. That's I thought, how really am I good. supposed to read this? I'm like, I'm not. I, I have friends and I have complained about this like online, and I totally agree. Like sites like this, sell me the article, make me pay a dollar for the article that I want to read. I do not want a subscription to your website that I have to cancel it. You know, like yeah. give me a one-time option. They don't. But so, anyways, in my pilfering the story, um, it was talking about the, one of the uh, leaders of the hashtag Desnat movement on Twitter, JP oh, Bellum yeah. has decided to retire, the, you know, not be publicly. Okay. I have to tell you, I was not really familiar with this whole situation. It's, oh, it's no. short for how, Desert how, Nation. How fun, how fun yeah. for you. I didn't know. And I, whenever I see this, I, I mean, I have three sons. All I can hear is these nuts. Every time I see this hashtag, and I'm like, <laughs> how did nobody like think about this when they were choosing this to be their hashtag? But okay. So yeah, apparently it's a, a group that, 
I don't know. I mean, maybe they started out with good intentions. Maybe it was what they say it was. But as so often happens in these trolley type of groups, it gets overrun by people who are homophobic and racist and just generally awful people who think apostates and ex-Mormons should be killed. That's not good. And the reason that they're getting off of social media now is they're afraid of being uh, doxxed, that they're afraid of being outed. And I'm like, you know, if you think you're a righteous person who's doing God's work and treating everybody in a Christ-like manner, what does it matter if someone tells who your real name is? You know, like that shouldn't be an issue. And I thought the fact that you guys want to go back scurrying into your holes says to me that you know what you're doing is wrong and you don't want to be publicly identified because it was not good stuff. So, Well, they could lose their jobs though, Soraya. Come on. They should lose their job. I shouldn't say that. I, I, I don't know. I, <laughs> I'm on, of being of, of what we were just talking about, being tolerant of different yeah, points of view. I'm and, being more tolerant. <laughs> um, I, I don't know. I, I, I have very low tolerance for fanaticism of any kind. This yeah. is fanaticism. You know, this is taking yeah. it to an extreme. And the problem with Twitter, I've had my own, you know, professional issues with Twitter. And, you know, you make some kind of mistake and people pile on you. I mean, it's, it's, horrific and not only do they pile on you but and you just say the worst personal awful mean things and i i realized and people were telling me it's for clout it's when you pile on somebody make fun of them it gets you much more engagement much more likes much more responses than it does if you're like i really like this thing and this thing makes me happy and you know from being in the star wars fandom on twitter you know to Mm. quote obi-wan there's never more wretched hive of villainy and scum in the universe you know but it's an awful place because again you go back to that whole it's all about being mean. It's about making fun of people. And I, I feel like yeah. the people on Twitter and the, the I can't call them does not like, it's just so weird that they just got caught up in the same kind of thing where it's about let's harm people. Let's make fun of them. And I was reading an article, a different article about a guy who talked about that he got in the movement and he really liked it and that they were very protective of him and he felt very included. He goes, and it just started getting uglier and uglier. And he was in these like discord chats and they were saying the most awful things about people and just judgmental. And he's like, this is not what I signed up for. I, I don't understand what's going on. And has since kind of distanced himself, but you know, it, it, the problem is you get these groups that use this for a cover to hate and it happens in the church and it should not happen in the church. And if you believe this kind of stuff and think it's okay to tell apostates to kill themselves, you need to have a conversation with someone who can put you on the right path. Cause that is not okay. No, there's there's a there's a strong element of sort of modern day Danitism yeah. among them. I mean, it's not exactly the same, of course. So they're they're not raiding other people's you know properties and stuff. But uh, it's a curious thing. But I think it is. Inter- I'm glad the the trib dug into this and found that many of them are, tr- are like quitting social media for for fear of becoming known. Which is, yeah. I uh, why are you afraid of being life. known? Don't live a secret life. Yeah, live a, live a life where you can publicly be proud of the things yes. you espoused. I thought that's what the church keeps saying, spread positivity and joy and happiness. And, you know, and not that you have to be that way all the time. Like I will tell anybody who wants to talk to me about it, that the rise of Skywalker is the worst Star Wars movie ever made. And I often tweet about how awful it is, but you know, I don't know. We're not out there to hurt other people. We're not there to tear other people down. Like that's the opposite of what Christ said. (laughs) I don't understand this disconnect and talking about politics and talking about this group. I really and truly do not understand the disconnect of where you have Christ's gospel and what you're told, but then it's okay to hate people who's diff- who are different than you. Well, you know, you're, you're coming with the sword. Coming with the sword. That's a thing. It's a terrible thing. It's not sword. a thing. Okay. It hasn't been Sorry. a thing for like thousands of years. And when Christ <laughs> came, he made sure to tell us it was no longer a thing. It was yes. done. And 
I don't know. That's a good way to look at it. It's a, it's a very mosaic law approach to things. Yeah. Yes. And we don't do that anymore. And it hasn't been what we practice for a very long time. And I don't, I don't get it. I don't get it at all. I, I don't know. Like I just meet people of different faiths of different, you know, and they're always kind of sometimes hesitant around me. And I'm like, my job is to love everybody. Like I generally don't like people because of how I am. Like I just, I genuinely don't like people because of how I am. Yeah. I I just, that's my personality, but I try really hard. Like I don't hate people. I just find everybody annoying. You must be delightful at a a book signing. I'm so much fun at a book signing. You don't even know. I'm so much fun at a party. I am the worst. Oh my gosh. Having to put it on. Like I'm actually really good with a crowd. I can do a crowd well. Like I love to teach. Uh, I'm really good at giving talks and teaching classes, but one-on-one like, Oh my gosh. Like if you had to just sit here and talk and we didn't have like articles to talk about or something like that we were here discussing, I would be so awkward and weird. I'm such an introvert. And so I like people talk about how they could never be in solitary confinement. I'm pretty sure as long as I had a notepad in the book, I would be a hundred percent fine. I am not joking. Like seriously, I could be cut off from all human contact. I'd be okay. And most people are not like that. And so I realized that, but anyways, my point was that I know I'm supposed to love everybody and I don't hate people. I just, you know, don't want to be around them, but I try really hard to love everyone and accept everyone, you know, that that's my cross to bear in my life, that I am trying to just to, I just can't imagine hating someone for stuff that's like out of their control. Like, you know, it, it, it doesn't make any sense to me and it never has. And I don't know why people think that when they die, Jesus is going to say, did you let people know how I felt about the gays? Like, that's not going to be a conversation that's going to be had. You know, it's going to be, did you love everyone, including the people that, you know, you thought weren't worthy of love? And spitefully used you. Yeah. That's going to be a very different conversation, I think, most people. And I've I've mentioned it before, but that, you know, God did not ask any of us to defend his kingdom, but to build it. And that the only way to build it is through love. And anybody who thinks different is wrong. Sorry. Strong opinion. Bangarang. We can can end the show right there. That's it. Though I will submit to you, you think Rise of Skywalker is a worse movie than Attack of the Clones. Very yes. interesting observation. That's yes. We can have a long discussion about that, but yes, the fan I pandering. Have. I think this comes up every time. You're yeah, here. sorry. The pandering, the the racism towards Kelly Marie Tran, the idiotic hyperspace skipping. Ugh, it was all bad. Chewbacca gets a medal. Ugh, like I didn't even know what that meant. And I'm someone who grew up on the original movies. I'm like, what even is this? I'm like, oh, he finally got a medal for that fight in New Hope. I'm like, are you serious? This is how far we are into pandering to fans that you brought up this thing that someone like me who loves Star Wars didn't even know what it was. Uh, sorry. Yeah. yeah. We won't it's talk about serious. it more. But. Okay. Okay. I will pivot for you. You can <laughs> cool pivot. off. All right. A um, couple random things. Now, do you remember, Soraya, when the uh, when the church purchased that little stretch of Main Street next to Temple Square, which is separating Temple Square from yeah. the, from the you know, church office building campus? Yeah. Um, for those of you who don't know, if you've been to Temple Square and ever noticed that giant like oval fountain that's right next to the temple, that wasn't always there. That was like a street that connected to the other side of the street of Main Street. And then the church somehow approached the city of Salt Lake in like 1999 and agreed to purchase it. There were a lot of stipulations. The church was supposed to maintain it as like a free speech zone, which they have not always done. And um, as evidence, I remember there was a Colbert Report segment where a gay couple was just like, holding hands and like security like ushered them out this was of course many years ago i don't know how it would be today anyway the church bought a street and that was not without controversy because it was the city the state selling something to the church and the church just uses it as a little plaza to connect everything so that's good so it got us thinking it only got us thinking no one's no one's released any information about this i want to be clear but i can't help but wonder 
if the church would do something similar with a stretch of North Temple, which is the street that separates Temple Square from the conference center, because yeah. only a few weeks ago, they announced they were going to tear down the North Visitor Center. The original plans for the whole Salt Lake Temple and Temple Square renovation was the South Visitor Center was always included. When they first announced it, they said, we're going to get rid of that. But North Visitor Center was supposed to remain as far as we knew. Right. Plans change and they evolve and that's fine. And they've announced they're going to also tear down the North Visitor Center, leaving us with no visitor center, no place for missionaries to call home base, no place to congregate, to have exhibits, whatever it might be. There's nothing there on the square. But they are kind of using the conference center as a makeshift visitor center. And I think that role is going to expand now, at least for the time being. I mean, it's not laid out exactly the same, but they have some exhibits and some of the lobby spaces there. You can see how it could function in that sense. So it, it made us wonder because of these the, the destruction of these visitor centers and if the conference center becomes sort of a port of entry uh, for many to Temple Square, will the church, and because also the church is very concerned about sight lines to the temple. Um, the whole reason they're tearing down the visitor center, at least one of the main ones, is to improve the view to the temple. I guess primarily if you're outside, if you're in front of the visitor center, you can see it just fine. Right. But if you're outside by the wall, you can't see anything. And they're replacing the walls with fences. The same thing's going on at the church office building project, the plaza where they tore down that big fountain they had and they're putting in a plaza. And one big a reason they cited was so that now you've got a nice through shot to the temple. So if you're at the conference center, you can see the temple pretty well overall, but you've got the walls and you have a big pile of asphalt in the name of North Temple Street in between it. Not the best sightline. Would it not be more lovely to pedestrianize that stretch just as they did with Main Street and make it one unified campus of sorts. I could see the church loving the idea of this. I just don't know if they'd want to deal with the public affairs fallout like they had when they bought Main Street 20 years ago. So yeah, it's all conjecture. I can see him doing it for all the reasons you just said too. I thought they can't not have a visitor center. Like that's like the number one. That's the worst part, right? Yeah. I mean, I, I, unless they turn the Joseph, the, maybe they turned the Joseph Smith building into kind of the visitor center. In some ways, it is. Some ways, it's not. But it's still different. Yeah, I feel like you almost have to have. I mean, I had a friend from Amazon who's coming down for a friend's wedding. You know, not LDS. She's actually from South Africa. And, you know, we were going to get together while she was here. And I said, "What are you planning on doing while you're here?" She goes, "Well, I have to go see the Salt Lake Temple. You know, that's that's number one thing. And just because it was the main tourism thing from all the blogs that she searched, and I thought, so it's something people coming to the state want to go see. It doesn't make sense to me not to have." So yeah, it, it feels like they would have to do something. And like you said, maybe they are going to buy the North and deal with the fallout. Because you know what? <laughs> They've been dealing with fallout from stuff for hundreds of years. They'll be okay. They don't care. Yeah. I'll throw another quick one out there. The uh, Mesa, Arizona Temple is finally going to be rededicated. It's been closed for a number of years. They closed it in May 2018, three years now already. It's been shut down for a major renovation, like many temples that closed pre-pandemic but for significant multi-year renovations. In Mesa's case, I believe they are restoring a lot of its original layout. Uh, the Mesa Temple dates back to the early 20th century. And as the endowment in particular evolved, you know, the need to have sp specific rooms or the progressive endowment went away and they started just kind of like shoehorning and rooms to being single endowment rooms. And it, it was kind of like weird. You'd kind of like be in one little room then have to walk across and go to some other room to proceed to the celestial room. And, uh, They've adapted with the times, but now in this, I believe they are restoring much of it to its kind of original style and glory. The interior, though, is updated quite a bit. It looks a little bit more, more modern, but they've also preserved a number of the murals. Uh, as part of doing this, by the way, they tore down the visitor center at Mesa, but they just rebuilt it, which used to be just south of the temple, but now they rebuilt it so it's just kind of on the corner 
adjacent to it across the street. Uh, I don't know exactly why. But anyways, they're going to rededicate it. after. There's an open house from mid-October through late November. And then it will be rededicated on... Da, 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 da. Where, where does it actually say the dedication date? There's the open house date. Where's the dedication date? Dedicated. No, that's the visitor. Well, the visitor center is going to be dedicated in August. Yeah. I, I straight up do not see where it's actually going to have the actual temple dedication. What am I missing here? Read faster. So, right, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at the whole article. I'm looking for dates. There we go. There, no, there's a, youth, there's a youth devotional for Saturday, December 11th. Presumably, it'll be December 12th then. But I think it's odd. I don't see anywhere in the article that's actually specifying the actual dedication date. But usually they do it after the youth things. Anyway, great news for Mesa. It's a, an important piece of our history. Uh, it's been there for a very long time, even though I don't think anybody should live in you know the Phoenix metropolitan area. But it's beautiful. Uh, I went to the Gilbert Temple when I was out there, which is a stunning building. I don't know if you've been there. That was my first time ever going mm-hmm. inside. It is massive. Uh, I couldn't believe just how grand the ceiling rooms and everything were in there when you're walking through. It was just this incre- the scale of that temple was staggering. I couldn't believe that. Mesa's a bit different. But yeah. congratulations, Mesa. Good work. Yes, congratulations. So you have another article that came out from Daily Beast about how the church outbid Bill Gates on farmland in eastern Washington. And the article, oh, yeah. I love it. they said the missionaries beat the mogul. I'm like, well, that's not quite I, how that worked. But I know. This, we uh, let this the missionaries article, do it. This article from the Daily Beast is full of a lot of uh, factual particulars that will bother us, like what they call the church, for example. It's just the Church of Latter-day, Latter-day Saints. Saints. Yeah. There's a lot of goofy stuff like that. but Yeah, people don't always get it right. But yeah. Okay. So, we need confession to time. We have to condemn I, them, though. Right. Yeah. I read a lot of like entertainment gossip. Like I have this one guy I go to who, like, this dude is never wrong. Like, he, he, when a story breaks, he'll show you all the blind items that he put about that story like months, years before. So he's been putting the stuff about Bill Gates and about how he's buying up all this land and he's forcing people to use his equipment and his seeds. He wants his seeds to be, his GMOs to be what people in the whole world have to eat. Um, I'm like, that's very mm-hmm. interesting. And so he's, he's going crazy trying to buy up all the farmland because if he owns all the farmland, guess who gets to control what all the food is? I'm like, that's kind of some conspiracy theory, crazy level stuff. But I'm like, man, what if that is true? So if that is true, I am glad the church beat them in this case. And Bill Gates will not get his hand on this land, which is supposedly very beautiful and got lots of fresh water and 12,000 acres and got sold because of a because of greed. Because someone lied about how many cattle they had to Tyson and like screwed him out of $220 million trying to pay off a $200 million debt of something else. But yeah, so the church land was up and the church bid on it and got it and I thought, and I think that's good because I think the church will use it for much better purposes than Bill Gates will. I, I thought the article was interesting too because it mentioned it kind of referenced the purchase or the purchase, the reasons why we would want to buy it. And it was basically like Mormons believe in being agrarian. Was yeah. Kind of like the way to sum it up. So it's not quite it. You, this was a good chance for someone in the church to hop in there and actually be like, uh, this is really because we have robust farming and other welfare apparatus, and uh-huh. it's all—it's pretty much all dedicated to that. Yeah. Um, so yeah. I mean, I uh, missed that Relief Society when we talked about being farmers, and that was our true goal in life. You know, right? So I can't imagine part was, that part was kind of funny. I mean, it's a big deal too because it's a—it's a single parcel, this giant parcel along the Columbia River. It, um, it's, it's beautiful from the picture. I, it just looks amazing, and I'm—I'm I'm, like I said, I think the church will use it for very good purposes, and so. I still think it's funny the church beat Bill Gates. Like, would you have thought that was possible? 
but they could have oh, outbid him. Gates is on the ropes right now. It has yeah. all his divorce drama and everything. No, it's, this is easy to take Gates down. Easy. He's not even the chairman of Microsoft anymore. I mean, what is that? Come on. He's got. <laughs> he's got nothing. Him. Bill Gates is nothing. Yes. Uh, <laughs> last one today. So Jenna Reese, some of you don't care for our coverage of her articles. I think she writes things that make us think for the most part. Um, Talked about a study that says a rising number of young adult Latter-day Saints in the U.S. are gay, lesbian, or bisexual. Uh, the article has been updated from its original publication almost a week ago uh, about this. Uh, essentially, with some disclaimers about that we should interpret the data carefully and make sure it is actually representative. But it seems that it's still basically is. We just have to keep in mind some other extra assumptions by breaking down where the Latter-day Saints they surveyed are. Um, because some of the response rates were different, like in the Mountain West versus outside of the Mountain West. Basically, Latter-day Saints outside the Mountain West were more politically diverse and more likely to identify as LGBTQ. Um, but with that said, it's it's interesting data. Assuming this all holds up, um, you really see how, like for example, the U.S. Mormons who identify as heterosexual, for example, it's like 94% of boomers, 89% of Gen X, 81% of millennials, and um, 77% of Gen Z. Like it just goes down. And then you, you see the breakdown of this, uh, what, especially among Gen Z, where that leaves, you know, 23% to feel certain ways. What's interesting is the rise in, I think, in the number who identify as bisexual um, between millennials and Gen Z. Yeah. I think that's reasonably interesting because it's about the same for gay, lesbian, but uh, bisexual is basically double the percentage identify uh, within that. So, it's a lengthy article. We're not going to go too much into all the details of it, but I do think it's very interesting to consider how much this might parallel the national experience, which of course they're, they're not necessarily saying straight up that like 23% of Mormons are identify as gay. Right. That's not exactly, that's not exactly it. And of course that's a number way higher than what we have on as the U S average, the stats right. we have in the U S but it does speak a lot to how a lot of things really, I mean, how at a societal level, how the, the lived experience uh, is different. And I think as a church, how we are becoming a little more accepting and open about how one might feel. I I'm not surprised to see boomers, whether even if they might feel uh, gay or lesbian or, or other, might still not even be comfortable expressing that in any capacity whatsoever. I think that's one of the big things as you go younger and younger, uh, it's less awkward to to address those things. But I also think as a church institutionally, we've done a lot to make it more, uh, more open for them. What do you think, Soraya? I, I think you're right. And I think, you know, I, I hear on both sides of this, you know, that it's society falling apart and I'm like, or maybe it's that we have learned to be more loving and compassionate to people who have different lived experiences than us and to welcome them in and bring them in. And, and I think it's good if people feel this way, if they, if they, have this attraction to, to same sex and everything else. If you're gay, lesbian, bi, trans, whatever, that you can live that way because it has led to so much pain and suffering and suicide and just horrific things. And we shove them back in the closet, you know, and you talk about boomers not wanting to acknowledge it. And I thought, yeah, you think about these guys who they were told to just go ahead and get married anyways, you know, you'll marry a woman and it'll be fine. You'll be having sex and these feelings will all go away. And, you know, Elizabeth Smart's dad, who left her family because he couldn't keep living that way anymore. And, I thought, I wonder how much of it is, I don't want to ruin my family, you know, that I really do love my kids. And I, I, yeah. I love my wife, even if I'm not attracted to her or whatever. So I don't know. I don't know that that's a better option, you know, and I, all the years hearing about that, I thought that's not a good thing. We shouldn't be encouraging that. And 
letting these families well, fall apart, you know, and I'm glad that it's shifting and it's going the other way. Cause I thought people are the way they are and they come to us the way they come to us. And I thought everybody kind of stands up against this stuff. I'm like, there's anything I've learned in my many years of being alive on earth. The thing that you judge people for that you get most upset over, like it's coming for you, you know, like it's, it'll be in your life. It's going to be your kid. That's trans. It's going to be your niece. That's lesbian. It's going to be, you know, that that's going to happen to you. And you're going to have to learn to live and love in a way that you probably did not even imagine before and to repent of the things that you thought and said and did. Um, I don't know. I just think it's so good. And I, I am one who I keep hoping that the church will lean more into this. I hope that this is something they are petitioning the Lord for and, you know, getting right. It has to be like unanimous. Right. And so that everybody's on board and finding out because I, as a, a amateur scholar who really enjoys ancient scripture, you know, and I have been studying this for a long time and I can't find anything about, you know, people being LGBTQ in the new Testament, in the book of Mormon, in doctrine and covenants. And what we have in the Bible, I'm not even sure is translated right from what I understand and what I've studied. So I don't know. I thought it'd be interesting to have some clarity on it and some doctrine on it. Cause I feel like, honestly, I feel like we really don't have any, and we've treated something that I think maybe mistranslated as, as fact. And that may not be true. And that's why we have that little disclaimer in our articles of faith about having to be translated correctly, you know? So it'll be interesting to see, I think as time goes on, how this shifts and changes. Cause I feel like none of us know how any of this works and we all assume that we do. And we've all made these judgments. And we've all made these decisions. And I don't, I don't think we're right. Yeah. We'll see what happens. We don't, yeah. like you said, we don't know everything. Um, no. One thing that you said kind of struck me though, as I've been learning more about this in recent years, when we talk about like gay men, for example, who might still enter into a heterosexual marriage. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it might've been one thing. Yeah. Like for the boomer class to do right. it and suppress everything, but it still even happens today as like a willful choice between the parties, acknowledging, knowing what the situation is. And I'm actually surprised how much more common that situation is. And it actually like works for people, which I've, that's a great thing that I've learned a lot of in the past year, because um, I think it is very easy to see that and just be skeptical and be like, "What? Yeah, what? Like, how is yeah, that if, going to work?" Yeah, but, people go into it with eyes wide open. Like, more power to you. That's a decision you make. I, I think I was just there was that really famous couple in the church who did it, where he was very openly like, "I am a gay man, but I want to." Josh Weed. Yeah. yeah, you know, and he has since left his wife, and you know, they are divorced, and. So I think that kind of for me, and I growing up with it as a Carolyn Pearson, the the LDS writer, who that happened to her. Her husband was gay, and she didn't know, and how it destroyed her as a woman, and it destroyed their family, and destroyed you know. And I I guess I grew up on that, and so I'm kind of like, let's not do that. But like you said, it, it, if people want to do it and it works for them, and they are able to have a good marriage, well, good good on you. Like please go do that if that's what makes you happy. But I I just can I can just see all so many ways that that can cause pain for both parties that it's hard to. Oh, yeah. You know. it's, it's hard to navigate. If it might yeah. work for some and and they're cool with it, then good yeah. for them. But that's obviously a. It's still a could be a treacherous, it's difficult, yeah, path to walk. Not easy, not easy. We don't. I think you and I are heterosexual people who yeah. have had those more straightforward experiences, and all we can do is learn how to empathize with our brothers yeah. and sisters. We don't judge are, you guys. I, I hope everybody takes it that way. I'm very opinionated, but I am not judging you. I, I no, you sound good. Do what you think's right for You're you. Good. You know, you're good. <laughs> Um, well, great, everybody. Thanks for taking the time to listen this week. We hope you've enjoyed uh, hearing some of the great news that's going on on our show. Uh, Soraya Wilson, nice to have you here. Thanks for joining yeah, us once again. Thanks for having me. Pleasure to have you. 
We hope you'll be back again soon and good luck on the book you're working on. Thanks for taking a break from that book to do this very episode. That's very nice of you. So folks, we can't do twin without you. If you want to support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash this weekend Mormons, where you can give like two bucks a month to help us pay, you know, server fees, hosting fees, all that kind of nonsense that we do on the back end so that you can just like open up Apple podcasts and just download a show every week. There's a lot of magic behind the scenes. It's amazing. But thank you very much for uh, joining us once more. And until then, so we meet again. I hope you all have a fantastic week and we'll talk soon. Bye-bye.